Well, good morning. It's really, really good to be uh, with you. As Pastor Tyson said, my name is Eldon and I'm uh, on staff here. I'm a pastor for this church at our campus in, in Agassiz. And so if you're uh, new here this morning, I think I'm in, uh, in familiar territory because it's been a while since I've been here. So even in the last five months, if you started attending Central, I probably, well, I haven't seen you because I haven't been here since August. But I do want to say uh, it's a privilege uh, to preach at this campus as well. And on behalf of our congregation in Agassiz, I want to bring you greetings. Uh, we have a fantastic group of, uh, of believers and worshipers uh, over there on the north side of the Fraser. Um, I, I couldn't be more proud of the people there. I love that, uh, that town, that district, that congregation. Yesterday, I had the privilege of gathering with a number of people for prayer. Um, we, we had scheduled uh, 9 till 10 in the morning to pray, and we were still growing strong by 10.30, and we just had to cut it off. There was, there was so much to pray for. My heart is so filled with joy and gratitude as I think about the last four years, because this, this past week marked the beginning of our fifth year of ministry in Agassiz and in the district of Kent. And so uh, it has a good foundation, thanks to uh, the loving support of a... Uh, of really the, uh, the, the home church, so to speak, the home campus here in Chilliwack and all of your prayers and your giving. Uh, I do want to, uh, as we engage in elder nomination process and discernment as a church, please pray for our Agassiz campus that God would raise up um, at least one godly man who would w- say, I want to join the team for Central Wide to uh, give support, uh, to make good decisions and to represent really our campus there. So I'm, I'm praying about it. Would you pray with me? This morning, uh, we're in, back in the Gospel of John, so if you have your Bible here, please open it up to John chapter 17 as we continue our series in the book of John. This is our fourth go-around, fourth year in a row. We're going to wrap it up, I do believe, this uh, spring as we look towards Easter, and so a fantastic way to do that in the Gospel um, of John. This series has been, um, I don't know about uh, for you, but it's been fantastic. I love the Gospel of John in particular. It was Daryl Johnson who said, the Gospel of Matthew is primarily about what Jesus taught. Now there's crossover in all of these things, but I'm talking primarily. Matthew about what Jesus taught. Mark about what Jesus did. The Gospel of Luke kind of combines what Jesus taught and what he did and talks about how he did it under the power of the Holy Spirit through whom he was clearly given birth and and filled for his ministry. Uh, But it is the Gospel of John, said uh, Johnson, that tells us who Jesus is. And that's why I love this Gospel, because it is so relational. It reveals the heart of Jesus and his relationship with the Father and the Father's heart for us in sending Jesus. And and, and it is just so so relational um, in uh, in its context. And so... In our context this morning, I know we've already talked about this in previous weeks, but Jesus here is still in the upper room with his disciples. He had made his way towards Jerusalem uh, for the feast, and, and, uh, and, he, and he revealed himself again there, but then he called his disciples in a very intimate setting in an upper room, and, and he spoke to them very personally about what uh, was to come, and he encouraged them, and he gave them hope, and he talked to them about the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and so our, our chapter 17 begins uh, with when Jesus had spoken these words, all of the things he had shared with his 12 in the upper room, it said he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. And he begins this prayer, which is known as the high priestly prayer uh, in our Bibles here. And this prayer is, is bold, and yet it is so intimate, and it is so powerful and the fact that John highlights the, the fact that Jesus lifted up his eyes is significant. This was um, an interaction with his father like never seen before. In fact, this was the third last time recorded that we know that Jesus prayed in less than 24 hours as he went through the Kidron Valley um, and stopped in the Garden of Gethsemane and told his disciples, you watch and pray while I go over there and, and pray and ask my father for strength to face the cross That was his second last time. And then we know Jesus prayed on the cross for us. So this is significant. Third last time Jesus prayed. He prayed uh, for himself and his relationship with the Father. He prayed about that. He prayed for his very close followers, his disciples. 
And of course, today, this morning, if you consider yourself a close follower, disciple of Jesus, this prayer, what Jesus is praying is for you, it's for me. But he prays for all believers and future believers, all who would come to him. And we have our eye on that as well. There's a quote that I read recently about prayer, and it says this. I love it. It says, I pray, not wish, because I have a God, not a genie. And uh, Jesus was bold when he came to the Father. In fact, we're going to see this morning that he prayed in the imperative with his Father. He's pleading with God on our behalf. So let's pick it up. Last week, Pastor Reg Taves, who was here, talked about the fact that, you know, um, he said, Father, I've chosen them. I've called them to me. They're mine. And so we're going to pick it up from there and say, well, now what? Now that we're, now that we're uh, uh, Jesus, uh, adopted, chosen, predestined people uh, in the love of the Father as the Father drew us, now what? John 17, verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." Let's just meditate on that and let it soak in as we just pause to pray. Father, we have, we have read your word. These are your very words to us. And I ask now by your Holy Spirit, you would apply them to us in a way that um, is fresh today. We want to hear from you a word of comfort, a word of encouragement, um, um, a convicting word or work. Uh, we're open to that, Lord. Um, a truth that we may not have seen before. God, um, show us. Uh, through your written words and, and, the, and the living word um, in us, indwelling in us by your Holy Spirit. Um, change us, God, today as a result of being here and, and um, listening to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I read these six verses, what was the dominant word or phrase that emerged from it? Don't be shy. There is a phrase, there's a word that is repeated, to be precise, nine times. The world. The world is significant. Nine times in six verses. This text is divided into two parts with a transitional phrase, uh, again, the world, right smack dab in the middle. So the first three verses, 11, 12, 13, talks, Jesus mentions three times, in the world. Three verses, uh, 14, the second part of 14, 15, 16, Jesus five times says, of the world. So the first half, in the world, the second half, of the world, and right sandwiched between those two as a dividing line is this phrase, and the world has hated them. Hmm. So we got the world nine times, three times, one time, five times, in, hated, and of. So when I first read this text and I'm contemplating on it, I see this phenomenon going on here. How can one be in something but not of something? And I read this and I see world, 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 and I said, what in the world is going on here? So we're going to break it down and try to understand what in the world is going on. And the phenomenon we see here, first of all, is I want to talk about the present, that we are in the world. There are Two things about the, this, this little phrase, preposition. I think it's a preposition. Teachers, correct me if I'm wrong. In. Uh, in. Jesus said, I am no longer in the world. But they, uh, my followers, my disciples, they are in the world. Here's the thing Jesus wants to know about being in the world. We're going to focus on in the present for us right now. It's like being at 
your mother-in-laws. So I know this is being recorded. Uh, Mom, I love you. I really do. You're a great lady. Um, I'm going to get back to that. However, if you don't have a mother-in-law, and I don't want to assume everybody does, it's also like being, being in the world is like being at uh, La Quinta Inns and Suites in Wenatchee. You're going, where did that come from? What in the world is he talking about? Well, let me, let me explain. See, when our, this October for Thanksgiving, Marcy and I decided to do a little bit of a retro, you know, throwback trip through the Cascades. So we, we drove down and into the Washington and then we did the South Cascades going east and then uh, we stayed a night along the way and then we stayed in Wenatchee and then we went north and then we went back west in the North Cascades. We stayed another night, another night on the way home. We just had this wonderful time meandering through the Cascades and really enjoying ourselves. Uh, and we, we stayed at La Quinta in Wenatchee for a reason because when our kids were really little, we hadn't been through the Cascades since they were really small. And we stayed at La Quinta. And we remembered it being very nice. It was brand new. It was like, wow, this is cool. Everything was fresh. You know, the food, the breakfast was good that they give you. You know, the biscuits and gravy down there in the States are like, wow, that's good stuff. And so we decided we're going to book specifically at that place. Again, well, it's called Inns and Sweets, but there was nothing in or sweet about it. <laughs> at all. Uh, it, it, it had not received any change, uh, including not just the carpets, but uh, the, the cleanliness of the carpets in 17 years to us. It was so, you know, it had, for sure, the breakfast wasn't nearly as good as we remember, blah, blah, blah. But it had some good things about it, just like being at mother-in-law's place, depending, of course, on how good the food is. <laughs> But, that, see, that's my standard right there. It's all about the food. But you see, La Quinta and, and, and uh, mother-in-law's place is definitely a place that you don't want to land long-term. All right? You just don't. Uh, the, the world is a place where we are positioned temporarily um, to be salt and light we have to check our attitudes as we go to La Quinta, as we go to mother-in-law's place and be gracious and we have to be, um, we have to conduct ourselves well. We are positioned to be salt and light, not hidden but on display as a beacon of hope to the world, um, sprinkled, permeated throughout society to bring a good flavor, a good aroma uh, the flavor, aroma, and light of Christ in a place that is permeated with the stench of sin and dismal darkness. We are in the world for one reason, to make Christ known. Amen? That is why we're in the world, to make a difference. And our time here is short Hence, the second part of the phenomenon uh, that we see is what I call, see, I'm an alliteration guy, everything starts with P, the persecution. So we have being in the world, the present, we have persecution. Jesus, in this dividing line between in and of, says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Listen. If you this morning are committed to living according to the truth, the principles, and the values of God's word, and if you don't participate in or fully embrace the things that this world says are so important, then you are going to be hated in this world. And that's actually um, a good thing because it means that you're doing something right. It means that people are seeing light, they're tasting salt, and they're just not quite sure what to do with it yet. See, if we conduct ourselves properly, people look at us and they have this aversion and yet this attraction at the same time. What's going on? Why are they like that? So different. My wife was paid, she would be embarrassed that I said this, but she was 
paid the highest compliment at her work. She's JAA at the courthouse and a fairly new position to her and her co-worker said to me, she was talking about how much she, <laughs> she appreciated what Marcy is doing there and some of the others, it hasn't worked out that well and she looked at Marcy and she, and she well, Marcy said, well, thank you for the compliment. She goes, you know, there's just a light about you. And I praise God for a wife like that who conducts herself in such a way that people see Jesus in her. And that, that, that's good. I want to bring you back to John 15. Let's back up a little bit, verses 18 to 25. Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that was said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep, kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that was written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. And then just before, you know, Jesus transitions from talking intimately with his disciples to talking intimately with his father, 1633, he said, I have said these things to you. And he's saying them to us this morning. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And Paul picks up on this again in Timothy 2 Timothy 3, where he said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, we, we have to be careful how we use that word persecuted because I don't think we have any clue in our context here yet what that really means. Yes, we experience some hatred by people. We experience for sure some opposition uh, we know what's happening right now in government and how there's, um, you know, there's, there's opposition to those who hold different values and all of that. But um, it has nothing to do or is no comparison to what um, Ed Stetzer wrote in an article just a few days ago, January 16th this year, in an article called What Persecution Is and Isn't and How to Respond to Open Doors 2018 World Watch List. And, and Stetzer says, uh, if you want this article, I can send you uh, a link to it. I can email it to you. He said, our misuse of persecution disrespects believers for whom any public reference of their faith could mean death. And, and then he said, you know, we, we uh, have this little, de- little debate, you know, um, in our culture about, you know, the, the opposition or the pushback we receive when we say Merry Christmas and somebody says Happy Holidays. Right? But... He said, go to the 2018 world watch list for open doors and consider the three top countries on the list that experience true persecution, North Korea, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. In fact, Pakistan is number one, scores highest in terms of incidents of church or building attacks, abductions, forced marriages, etc. But in order of persecution is North Korea, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Then he said this, But we mustn't overlook another important facet of the report, one that gives us a picture of the kinds of persecution our brothers and sisters in Christ experience on a day-to-day basis. During this most recent reporting period, Open Doors found that 3,066 Christians were killed, 1,252 were abducted, 1,020 were raped or sexually harassed, and 793 churches attacked because of their expressed faith in Christ. Same day, January 16th, I got an email from Randy Friesen, who's the director of MB Mission, um, the conference denomination that this church belongs to. And Randy Friesen said, five days ago, it was called Crisis in Congo. And he said, isn't too far away from where, 
you know, Tyler and Cheryl are. He said, five days ago I heard another tragic story from the Civil War in the Democratic Republic of Congo. I want to share this with you to help you understand the urgency of the need and give you opportunity to respond. Her name is Helene Kuma, and she is mother of six children. She and her family were living in the Kasai province when rebels started invading that area. Her family was attacked in the bush. The intent of the rebels was to rape her in the presence of her children and her husband. But her husband intervened, begging the rebels to stop. So they turned on him and killed him in the presence of his family. Helene herself was wounded, but she managed to escape with her children. Together they took her husband's body and buried him in the bush some 30 kilometers away. The family continued on foot for another 150 kilometers to the Kikwit region where they now live, receiving food and assistance from MCC, Mennonite Central Committee, and the Mennonite Brethren Church of Congo. And he goes on to talk about the extreme states of poverty and, and danger that people in that region are living in and how the church is responding. Friends, um, that takes it to another whole level. And the, the persecution, the hatred, the opposition that we face in this world, which is nothing compared to these places we just talked about, must be expected. So in, in our context, you know, there's this ongoing stuff about sexual orientation and gender identification, self-gender identification, abortion, um, government funding forms that have to be filled out a certain way in order to receive funding. Um, while not based on legalities, but, but on a worldview that is value-based and on party policies, all of these things are to be expected. And here's the thing. Is it fair? No. Is it right? No. But it's not something that takes Jesus by surprise. And it is not something that should take us by surprise either because we need to react in a gracious and an honorable way in the context that we live in. We need to judge our attitudes and our response in this world. We do not judge the world because those who are not in Christ do not know any other way. And that is precisely why we're here. To love them as God loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And if we're in Christ, we have no choice but to love the world the way our father does and to win them through our appropriate witness. I'm going to move on here. Let's talk about the prospect. We are not of the world. And I'm going to come back to what I just said. We, we don't belong here. We are not of this world. We, we, this world is not our home. And so if you feel a little bit off in this world, that's good. You should feel off. Uh, in early December, um, um, Marcy and I, my wife and I, were uh, blessed to take a, a quick, unexpected trip to uh, La Paz, Mexico. Um, and we went with her brother and sister-in-law, and we stayed with some friends who recently moved to La Paz. And while we were there, we hired on two different days some locals to take us on some snorkeling kind of adventures. Uh, rough life, I know. I shouldn't be talking about this. But nonetheless, these adventures were, they were very cool. We bartered hard. We got some great local guys who gave us fantastic time. And we were, like, this was not in an aquarium. We were in the wild. And so first day, second day we were there, but our first little excursion, uh, we went several kilometers off the coast in the Gulf, California. And and we saw all of a sudden, we're looking for pods of whale sharks. Well, we saw first pods of dolphins that were jumping all over. And then all of a sudden, we saw some whale shark activity because this is the time of year when they're coming in close to feed and all of that. And it's like, okay, as soon as we spotted them, we headed over. And it took a while, but then our, our, uh, our guide said, okay, five of you in the water. <laughs> and Marcy's like, okay, get, like, he's like, get your mask on, snorkel up, get in the water now. And, and, and Marcy's like, ah, 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 
you want me in there with that thing that weighs like 39,000 pounds? Like, if you don't know what a whale shark is, like, look it up. They're, it's actually con technically the largest fish in the world. It is not um, a mammal. It's not truly a whale, but it's not a shark with big teeth. Like, they're friendly. However, they're huge, and it's unnerving <laughs> to be in their territory, in their environment. It was strange. And I got in, second batch, the first five swam for a while. I got out, there's five of these things swimming around, and I'm following one, and I go down in the water, and I'm, one of them is looking at me straight in the face. You know, Jonah and the whale, like, big, like seriously, I could have swam in it. Like, I'm not kidding. That was unbelievable. And then the next day, we took another little excursion, this time 64 kilometers up the coast to this uh, rock island that is just inhabited with... Uh, um, with, um, uh, what do you call them, sea lions. And then there's like tons of like uh, tropical fish swimming around. There's a, there's a reef around it, but there's this like island with just hundreds and hundreds of sea lions and in the water. Okay. And these guys are swimming around you and nipping at you a little bit and just playing and just doing their thing. And, you know, they have a natural flipper which makes them go through the water with grace. And we get in with these little rubber things and we're like, what are we doing in here? Peter said, beloved, I urge you as strangers, foreigners, aliens, sojourners passing through, not meant to be here forever, exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Then he said this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Keep your conduct in the world honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, the hatred, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, that's the key. We need to, in our world, it's not our home, it's not our environment, but we need to live honorably with conduct that gives glory to God and points people to Jesus. So that's the phenomenon in, hated, of, and then, it, and then within this, um, John talks about a couple of promises. Let's talk about the promises real quick here. The first promise we see in here, so yeah, we're hated, but the promise is protection. Verses 11, 12, and 15. Um, Jesus prayed, this is where Jesus gets adamant in prayer. These are imperatives in the present tense. Father, keep them, guard them, deliver them. I have kept them. I've been faithful to you while I was in this world, but I'm, I'm going home to you now, Father. I'm, I'm leaving this world shortly after I, I, I endure the cross and, and, I, and I'm seated again at your right hand. And I'm no longer in the world. But they're here, so Father, please keep them. There are three sources that we experience attack in our lives while we're in the world. And that, the first one is our, our flesh. We have our own sinful nature, which needs to be crucified daily with its passions and its lusts. And, and we by the power of the Spirit, have to do something about that. It's our flesh. Then there's the world. All of the things that the world throws at us that says are so good and yet so meaningless and leaves us so empty. And then there's the evil one. And, and, uh, and Jesus mentions uh, Satan specifically, uh, not asking God to deliver his disciples from the world, but while they're in, him, in the world, to protect them in it and deliver them from the evil one. This is powerful. Jesus himself is praying for our protection. And that means that the evil one, our enemy, is a force not to be feared, but definitely to be reckoned with. I, I want to read a little bit from Peter here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. James says, um, draw near to God. It's the way he, same idea, he, James says, draw near. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he might exalt you. Not now, but it's coming. Casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Sometimes living in the world can be a bit fearful, cause some anxiety. 
Um, unless that's just me and the rest of you are all perfect here and you have no anxiety or fear ever. I do. I'm just being honest. Be sober-minded in all of this. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is real. Resist him. Standing firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood, sisterhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Oh man, there's a sermon. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Can I get a witness, people? Amen, amen. He will do this. And when he protects us, he, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Protection and deliverance from the evil one is a consistent theme of Jesus. You read the prayers of Jesus, the ones that are recorded. We know he prayed a lot. But the ones that are recorded, what is absolutely consistent in his prayers is protection and deliverance from the evil one. And this is something that was uh, stressed to me on a trip, actually, with MB Mission um, about, boy, it was quite a while ago now, maybe 10, 11 years ago, we went to Peru, gathered all of the missionaries from Latin America, Central America, South America. It was a powerful time. And something I learned, actually, from Randy Friesen every day, to start the day, to end the day, which what Marcy and I do daily, is to say, God, Father, protect and deliver us from the evil one. In fact, Jesus said, Holy Father, Holy Father, I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. I looked this phrase up, Holy Father, because it kind of stood out to me. And I use Logos Bible software and I have access to every translation of the Bible, including the originals, and I searched every one of them. And this Holy Father phrase is the only time it occurs anywhere ever at any time in Scripture. God the Father in his absolute perfection and purity is not only able to protect by the authority of his perfect and holy name, which he gave to Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Amen? There is power in the name of Jesus. We need to declare the name of Jesus regularly. He's not only able, but he cares that we are protected in a world that is so unholy and so dark compared to his purity. As I was preparing just this morning, my daily Bible app gave me the verse of the day as I was waking up. And it was, and I just went, thank you, God, for this. Proverbs 18, verse 10. I love it how when things come together, just like when, like Pastor Tyson, the way he led this morning, it just all came together. He and I actually didn't even coordinate on this. And it's so powerful, even a passage in Colossians I want to read later, but Proverbs 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord, Holy Father, in your name, the name you gave me, Jesus said, keep them, protect them, deliver them. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. Amen? They are safe. And you need to know that this morning. Prayer time yesterday in Agassiz, I focused on 1 Samuel 7. The people of God came up against the powerful enemy, the Philistines, and they were afraid. So Samuel gathered them together. He said a couple of things, guys. And ladies, first one is, you need to have uh, undivided attention to the Lord. You need to put away false idols. You need to focus only on the Lord and follow him with a whole and undivided heart. And secondly, I'm going to intercede for you. (laughs) So he did. And Samuel, it said, cried out to the Lord, deliver us. (laughs) And God did. And, and it says in there, during the, the time of Samuel, while Samuel was alive, the Philistines didn't bother the Israelites because that guy chose to intercede and to speak truth and say, this is what you need to do. Get rid of that stuff, the stuff of the world. 
undivided loyalty to God. And if this is what happens when a mere man, Samuel, intercedes for God's people as they face trouble, and when we consider that Jesus intercedes, interceded for his disciples, and you know what, Hebrews, if you go, if you go to the book of Hebrews chapter 7, it declares that Jesus now is the great high priest. This is the high priestly prayer in the order of Melchizedek. Why? Because Jesus made a sacrifice for sins once and for all to end all sacrifices. He's declared the high priest now, and it says in there, and he lives to intercede for us. Jesus right now is interceding on our behalf still to the Father. That ought to get you excited. We consider Samuel, we consider Jesus. It should not only strengthen us and encourage us, but also strengthen our resolve to pray for others who need Rescue who need protection, deliverance. There have been many times where Marcy and I have ached and we're literally sick over the challenges facing those that we love in our family. Uh, knowing on one hand that fear wouldn't change anything yet still living in it, I'm just being honest with you. Tempted to believe that the Lord wouldn't act And yet it was in those times that we relied on faithful people who refused, they refused on our behalf to never underestimate the power of prayer. And I can name them, the ones in Agassiz who pray at sun, on Sunday morning every Sunday at 9.30 and who pray every day of the week for us. On our behalf, Faithful people whom God hears just as he heard the pleas of his son who lives to intercede. We don't know how he will move in response to our petitions for others, but we do know that as our father, he longs for us to embrace his love and to trust in his faithfulness. That's his first promise is his protection. Secondly is his provision. Um, I have verse 14 where this transition happens. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Last week, Pastor Reg talked about how we come to know Jesus. And again, it's through the word that was revealed to the disciples, to all people. And, and this week here, how we come to Jesus first and then how we continue to leave for Jesus is also based in his word. God's word is so powerful is active, it is living, it is practical, it is what we need. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, and I love my bread, but, every per but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, that's what we live on, that's what we need to survive. Uh, Marcy's uh, dad, my father-in-law, is a Christian counselor. He has a master's and a, and a PhD in biblical counseling, but just a, such a down-to-earth, crazy guy. <laughs> uh, he, he truly is. He's awesome. And uh, my, my mother-in-law is too. We're on video. They're awesome people, okay? We just don't stay there for long periods of time. <laughs> All right. That out of the way. And nonetheless, a number of years ago, he's retired now from counseling. He still does it uh, in, in their home, through the church, bless people, but when they had their Christian counseling uh, business, their office, um, he was given a contract by the city of Calgary that all of their city employees would have to see him for counseling because he was the one that was approved through the uh, insurance plan. So it's like all these people coming in from the city, they knew he was a Christian counselor. It's everywhere. So they sit down, they say, none of that Bible stuff. No, no, I'm here because I have to be here. My insurance is paying for it. Just counsel me. Leave the Bible on the shelf. He's like, okay. And so he counsels them biblically <laughs> because he has so much committed to memory and he, he knows what the word of God says and he left his Bible closed, but he counseled them. And after, he told me, after three, four sessions, five sessions, whatever, he'd say, so how's it going? How's it working for you? Like, this is great. Like things are changing in my life. I'm putting into practice what you're telling me and it's working. And they're like, 
this is cool. This is really good. Thank you for being my counselor. And then, and then dad would say, did you know that everything we've talked about in all of our sessions is all in the Bible? No. <laughs> Show me. <laughs> He's like, you gotcha. And then he would open up his Bible and he would say, remember when we talked about this? Yeah, it's here. Remember when we talked about this? Oh yeah, it's there. Remember when we talked about this? Oh yeah, that's what God says we should do. It's right here. And they'd go, no, that's in the Bible. Give me that Bible, let me see. The word, I've given them your word. It's what we need. It's his provision to us. And so thrilled that Pastor Jessica took uh, some of her key leaders, I think, and some of the women in women's ministry to a conference this past weekend called Women in the Word. We, we want to be uh, being about the Word at Central because there's change. I, I hate drawing attention to it, but you can see this ink on my skin, and it's not an endorsement, okay? I'm just talking personally about what I did, but it's Hebrews 4, verse 12, and it is a sword of the Spirit, also in the shape of a cross with a crown of thorns on it. Hebrews 4, 12, 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And this is a reminder to me of the living word, Jesus Christ and his written word and the cross of Christ. Those three things so important to me because I know that I must give an account one day. And it is the word that will expose all of my motives and attitudes and and my heart. As it's taught, as it's read, as... Iron sharpens iron as brothers and sisters living in community. Oh man, the verses I could share with you, write them down. I don't have time to go there. We're already running out of time. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. You know, God said, I'm going to send forth my word and it will not return void. It will accomplish every purpose for which I sent it. It will. Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's where the word comes in. Psalm 119, you are my hiding place, my shield. I hope in your word. And on and on. Hebrews 1 verse 3, he upholds the universe by the power of his word. There's power in the word of God. And that is his provision to us. So finally, what is, what is the end result? We got to wrap this up. The product. What, what comes about is all of this? First, to keep with the P words is our peculiarity. Huh, we're to be different. We're to be unique. We're to be noticeable in the world, not because we're odd, but because we're unified. Jesus said, you know, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. Unity. John earlier in chapter 13 said, you know, I give you a new command, love one another because if you love one another, everybody will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, if you're unified, if you're together, you're tight. John Maxwell, I've had the privilege of going to a number of his seminars and reading some of his books and whatnot and he shared a story about his first church. It was a small rural church of about 80 people and he went to this little church and you know, these, these smaller churches, they have a lot of like potlucks and meals and whatnot after the service. And for whatever reason that comes up, they're eating together. Just my kind of place. <laughs> and uh, a lady uh, who was new to the church came into the kitchen and she, was, uh, she took out her dessert and she took out her little tub of Dream Whip and she started to put it on the dessert. And the lady who was in charge of the kitchen that had been there since before Adam said, oh, we don't use fake whipped cream in this church. We only use real whipped cream as she took the scraper and slid her dessert off the plate into the garbage. Whew. Those church kitchens, wow. (laughs) Needless to say, her actions did not do much for church unity that day. 
or in the days to come. Ephesians, Colossians, Pastor Tyson highlighted it, Colossians, you know, (laughs) the way you used to live in the world, put it off. The way you ought to live with humility, kindness, forgiveness, love towards one another, bearing with one another in love, Paul said. Living in a manner worthy of your calling, all guided by the word, let it dwell in you richly, the word, because that's what changes us as we act the way we should, maintaining the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We need to work hard toward this. When I was hired at Central Community Church going on, I don't know, four and a half years ago, I guess, around there, when I was interviewed, I remember the spot. I remember who was there. I remembered very clearly, but I only remember one question, really, that was asked of me. Sorry, (laughs) elders lead team (laughs) at that time. But, But this stands out to me, okay? So Pastor Ron was there. He was our lead pastor at that time. Uh, Ernie was there, Jeremy Harder was there, Richard was there, um, Stolby, Joel Massey was there at that time. And Ernie looked me square in the eyes. And he said, Eldon, will you do all you can to protect the unity of this church? And that spoke to me. And you need to know that 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 is the kind of leadership we have in this place that cares so much about Central Community Church that they would challenge their staff to say, are you doing all you can to guard the unity and protect the unity of this church? So thank them for that. We got to get used to this because in heaven, there's going to be all kinds of diversity of ethnicity, of language, of tongue, of people, all worshiping together. And this is our preparation. The second outcome is pleasure, joy. That my joy may be in them. Remember that passage from Isaiah 55 about God's word not returning void? It will accomplish its purposes. The follow-up verse to that, 12, is this. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. You know, like, we have an opportunity now to clap our hands in worship. <laughs> it says the trees are going to do it. There's so much joy in, in living under God's word and how it, it, it affects change in our lives. We ought to clap for joy. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight of the things of the world, the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us in this world, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And this blows me away every time. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I love that. Joy. So people say, okay, if I give my life to Christ as a disciple and I'm going to be hated, why would I ever want to do this? Why should I be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, if that's what it's all about? Well, my question to you is, do you want an easy life or a fulfilled life? Do you want an empty life or a meaningful life with purpose and hope in a future? I want to conclude by reading 1 John 2, 12 through 17, and I'm going to ask, answer the question here, why? 1 John 2, 12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, father, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not let the love of the world 
Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And that's why it's worth it. Would you give your life to Jesus today? If you've walked with him, would you give your life to Jesus again? If you're new to this thing called church and preaching and the Bible, would you give your life to Jesus the first time today? Erwin McManus said this, For many, the only hope of faith is that one day we will leave this earth and be free from a future that is filled with fear. Often our best hope has been that Jesus would come back soon. Yet I am convinced that's true. Yet I'm convinced that this is exactly the wrong point of view, viewpoint for any of us who live by faith. Faith is the fuel of the future. And if God is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then tomorrow should fill us with inexplicable hope. No matter how bleak the present may seem for those of us who believe, the future is always full of hope. Because he lives, he's no longer in the world, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Holy Father, oh, thank you for this word. Thank you that you've, oh, you've, you've given us such great and precious promises of protection, of provision in your word. Thank you, God, that you've given us the, the ability to be unified, to be one, to, to love one another, to experience joy beyond description. And in all of us, God, even though the world hates us, we're, we're in it and not of it, we, we know that there's so much hope because you hold the future and you're able to deliver us. We praise you and we thank you that we can trust you because you are trustworthy and you've given us this word for us today. So change us as a result of hearing this and falling under the authority of your word, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.